his wife and all that he had and lot with him into the south. And Abram was very rich in cattle and silver and in gold. And he went on his journeys from the south even to Bethel under the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Hai. Under the place of the altar which he had made there at the first. And there Abram called on the name of the Lord. And Lot also which went with Abram had flocks and herds and tents. And the land was not able to bear them that they might dwell together. For their substance was great so that they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herdmen of Abram's cattle and the herdmen of Lot's cattle. And the Canaanite and the Perizzite uh, d- dwelled then in the land. And Abram said unto Lot, Let there be no strife, I pray thee, between me and thee, and between my herdsmen and thy herdmen, for we be brethren. Is not the whole land before thee? Separate thyself, I pray thee, from me. If thou will go to the left hand, then I will go to the right. Or if thou depart to the right hand, then I will go to the left. And Lot lifted up his eyes and beheld all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, even as the garden of the Lord likened to the land of Egypt, as thou comest to Zor. Then Lot chose him all the plain of Jordan, and Lot journeyed east, and they separated themselves the one from the other. Abram dwelled in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelled in the cities of the plain, and pitched his tent toward Sodom. But the men of Sodom were wicked sinners, wicked and sinners before the Lord exceedingly. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word this morning. And Lord, more specifically, we're thankful for the 13th chapter of Genesis that you've directed our heart to today to preach from. And I pray that you would touch this text, make it come alive in our hearts and lives. I pray we see no man save Jesus only. Take this, Lord, unusual thought. And use it for thy glory. Lord, I have no doubt that you gave me this message on yesterday to preach for this morning. And I pray that you'd use it for thy glory. May we not leave and say, what a preacher. May we not leave and say, what a church. May we leave and say, what a God. And what a book that we have. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Thank you for praying with us. When we come to Genesis chapter 13, I want us to notice four things by way of introduction. First of all, we note the characters in this text. We note there are two men specifically that are identified in the 13 verses that we read. Of course, Abram, and you'll forgive me if I call him Abraham, same man. Abram in this text, we know him as the man of faith. God comes to him, sends a word to him in Genesis chapter number 12 and tells him to leave, leave everything that he has and go and to a land that he didn't even know of. Can you imagine? Abraham walks in the house and looks at Sarah and says, we're moving. And she says, wonderful. Are we moving to a bigger house? He said, no, we're moving to a tent. Where are we moving to? I don't know. Where are we going to live? I ain't sure. Uh, how many of you ladies would go along with that, all right? Uh, so when uh, Sarah's got her problem, not this Sarah, the Sarah in the, I mean, sh- I'm sure she has problems, but this Sarah has her problems in the Bible, amen. Uh, but following her husband wasn't one of them. The Bible said that she called Abraham Lord. I heard some moron preach that women ought to call their husbands Lord. My wife calls me Lord all the time. Oh, Lord, Josh. But anyway, you'll get, the, you'll get that after a while. But what I'm saying is this couple, they responded by faith. And they obeyed the word of the Lord. But the second character in our text is a man by the name of Lot. Lot is not a man of faith. Lot is a man of the flesh. 
Lot is Abraham's nephew. And there's a lot of argument on whether or not Abraham should have took Lot with him. That's neither here nor there. We, we just know that Abraham took Lot with him. There's the characters. But then there's the conflict in verse number 6 and verse number 7. Because the, the herdsmen and because the cattle have become so great, the two men had, they began to have strife between their herdsmen. And they weren't getting along. The land could not bear them. There was conflict between the two. The characters in the conflict leads to a choice in verse 8 and 9. Abraham comes up with a solution. He looks at Lot and said, look, I don't want the conflict between... As far as I can tell, there was not any conflict between Abraham and Lot, but the conflict was between their herdmen. But Abraham, having wisdom, he said, I don't want there to be conflict to come between me and you. I don't want these people's issues that they have to turn you and I against one another. He said, for we be brethren. He said, so let's just separate. Let's go our separate ways. I don't think this is an angry separation. I believe this is an agricultural separation. I believe in order for the cattle, in order for the herdsmen to get along and for them to produce what they needed to, it was best for them to part ways. And so uh, Abraham says, look, if you go to the left, then I'll go to the right. If you take the right, then I'll go to the left. Abraham is a gentleman in this text. He is the older man. He should have first choice. But Abraham's a gentleman. And he allows Lot to have the choice. There's the characters and the conflict and the choice, but I'm noticing verse number 10, the consideration. Please look at your Bible in verse number 10. The Bible said, And Lot lifted up his eyes and beheld all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Now please watch this last phrase. Even as the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as thou comest to Zor. I was reading Genesis 13 recently, and that last phrase literally jumped off the page at me. Even as the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt. Now, we understand the garden of the Lord is a reference to the garden of Eden. We understand when God created man, he put him in a garden, that garden being Eden. Eden represents a place of perfection. Eden represents a place of production. Eden represents a place of protection. But we know on the car, he said it looked like Eden, but also like the land of Egypt. We know that Egypt is the opposite of Eden. Egypt represents perversion. Egypt represents possessions. Egypt represents prison because that is where the children of Israel were held in bondage for some 400 years. I want to preach on this thought this morning. It looks like Eden, but it's more like Egypt. According to this verse, when Lot looked towards Sodom, he said, boy, that looks like the Garden of Eden to me. But it was more like Egypt than it was Eden. You know, there's a lot of people, they, they make decisions based on what they see. And they, and they make decisions based on how they feel. And they will look at something and say, boy, this looks perfect. This is exactly what I've been looking for. This looks like my Garden of Eden. But if you were to take a closer look and a closer examination, you'd find out it's really not Eden, but it's Egypt. It is not a place for the people of God to dwell in. You see, it, it, we, it looked like Eden, but it was more like Egypt than it was Eden. I want to I look at this, and I wrote this down. Just because it's good, don't mean it's God. Just because it's a good thing, I understand every good thing, every perfect gift cometh down from the Father of lights, who there is no variable in the shadow of turning. I understand that, and I believe that. But I tell you, everything that's good ain't God. 
Can I give you an example? The boss comes up to him and says, Hey, we'll give you $4 on the IRAs if you'll start working on Sunday. And you know what will be good about that? I can tithe more and give more to missions. But just because it's good don't mean it's God. Because he'll take you out of church. The boss man comes up to him and says, Hey, we can give you a promotion. I can give you $10 on the hour in a company truck. But you got to move four hours away. And there ain't no church in that area. And you'd be better off making $10 less an hour and driving that old pickup truck that you have as to take your family. Oh, it may look like Eden. It may look like the perfect scenario. But I tell you, it's more like Egypt than it is Eden. You young people, as you get older and you get in that courtship stage, they may look like Eden. They may look perfect, but deep down in their heart, they don't have a love for God. And they're not faithful to church. And they're not in the Word of God. And they're not a Christian. It may look like Eden, but it's a whole lot more like Egypt. In our relationships, our friendships, the decisions we make in life, there's a lot of people that they made their decision like Lot based on how it looks, that first impression. And the first impression that Lot got of Sodom, this is the Garden of Eden. But it was more like Egypt than it was Eden. I would like to emphasize three thoughts. First of all, we find that Lot was deceived. It looked just like the garden of the Lord. Now, that bears a question. How did Lot know what the garden of the Lord looked like? I don't know. I don't know if it was passed down. We know that Noah was, and Noah was the connecting between Enoch and, and the old world and the new world. And, and that could have been passed down. It could have been passed down from generation. But he knew something about the Garden of Eden. I noticed he was deceived by the appearance, first of all. He said, it looked. I tell you, everything you see ain't what it appears I'm not trying to be crude or rude or funny but nowadays some things you see you don't know if it's a man or a woman I mean flip a coin you don't know why because you can't go based on appearance hey you could you could go to a garage somewhere and somebody have a vehicle uh, and it's covered up with a tarp and they pull that tarp off and the paint is shiny and the wheels look good and the windows don't have any cracks in it and it looks good he said boy that looks good but you open up the hood and you find there's problem after problem after problem after problem and you know what you'll be deceived by that appearance Boys, a lot of places, they look good on the outside. And they look like they offer a lot of things on the outside. But upon further inspection, you will find that their appearance is full of deception. There are people that will try to steal your heart. I'm talking about in relationships. They'll try to steal your heart and steal your love. And on the outside, they may tell you they're a Christian. They may tell you a lot of things. You know what I've learned? They will tell you what you want to hear to get you. Hello? And that appearance, but then not only notice he was deceived by the appearance, but I see the appeal. Verse 11 and 12, once he saw it, he wanted it. He, when he got it in his mind, that's what I want, it appealed to him. When he got, I hope this is making sense, when he saw that land and it looked like the Garden of Eden, he said, that's exactly what I want. And it appealed to him. 
The Word of God teaches us in the book of James, James chapter number 1 and verse number 13, the Bible says, Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, it bringeth forth death. That little, I did a word study many years ago. I did this before, but that word entice, if you look up, it means to catch by bait. It means to allure. That's what a fisherman does. He gets him a lure, a fishing lure. And what that fishing lure does, it has the appearance of something that that fish would want. Some even fishing lures have an aroma to them. They have a smell. You go catfishing, the aroma is a big part of catching catfish. Just find the stinkiest thing you can find in the world and you can probably catch a catfish with it. Somebody say amen. And it has an aroma and it has an appearance and it has an appeal to that fish but I'll tell you every lure has something attached to it has a hook to it you know what happens when that fish sees that hook sees that bait he don't see the hook necessarily he sees he sees that red worm he sees that cricket he sees that jig he sees whatever it is you use to fish with he sees it he wants it and he attacks it but when he attacks it he thinks he has it but it has him. And I'm telling you, that's the way sin works. That's the way sin works. It entices you. And you think, I have a hold of this. I finally got what I want. But in reality, it has you. It has you. And what happens after that fish takes the hook? The fisherman will set the hook. And he's drawn away. He's been drawn from the place where God created him to be. How many times? Oh my goodness, how many times in church, even in the ten years that I've served as your pastor, have we seen people take the bait of sin and take the bait of the world? Oh, it looked like something that would be better for their family. It looked like something that would be better for their career. It looked like something that would be better for their finances. But I'll tell you what they couldn't see in that lure was a hook that pulled them out of church. And pulled them out of the will of God for their life. The appearance, the appeal, the abomination. Verse 13. But the men of Sodom were wicked and sinners before the Lord. Watch this word. Exceedingly. All sin is wrong. All sin is wicked. But there was something about the sin of Sodom that was exceedingly wicked. We find this is the first chapter 13, verse 13 in your Bible. 13 in your Bible is the number of rebellion. See, Lot was deceived. He said, boy, this looks like the Garden of Eden. The appeal, the appearance. But he found it was a place of abomination. Oh, how many times have we seen people make decisions because it looks good. It feels good. There we go back to Isaac again. It feels like, like, like Esau, but it sounds like Jacob. And they make their decision based on those things. And it ruins their family. And it ruins their home. We were talking about a situation recently. And I, don't, and I won't get in all that, and I don't rejoice in that, but a situation where if they had just li not listened to me, if they just listened to the Word of God, and if they had just stayed in love with Jesus and done what was right, their family would not be where it is today. They were deceived. Not only was Lot deceived, but secondly, I would like to emphasize, Lot was defiled. 
Lot was not only deceived, but Lot was defiled. I wrote this down. His progression was really a digression that was a transgression. I've given you this before, but I really felt led to, to use this particular outline again. The three stages of Lot's defilement was this. Lot looked toward Sodom. That was the idea stage. You will never commit a sin with your hands that you don't first commit in your heart. You'll never do anything with your body that you don't first commit with your mind. Your mind, your mind, you have to guard that. He had the idea of going that direction. He looked that way and said, that's what I want. That's what I want. He had the idea. I talked to a man recently, does not go to church here. I was witnessing to him, inviting him to church. And he said, my father is a minister. And I said, oh, really? I said, where does he minister at? And not been trying to embarrass the young man. He had no idea. And he said, uh, he said, yeah, he said, I was raised pretty strict. He said, I never smoked a cigarette or drank alcohol until I was 21 years old. I said, sounds like you had a good daddy. But he, he, he acted like that was not a good thing. You better guard yourself. Guard your mind. I'm going to tell you, your mind is the battlefield. The Bible talks about in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter number 10, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. The best way not to sin is don't let that sin dwell in your mind. All of us battle with thoughts that we should not have. Hello? And here's what we have to do. When those thoughts enter our mind, immediately we are to do what Paul commanded us to do in Scripture. Cast them down. How do we, how do we keep our minds pure? Philippians 4, finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. That's why the Word of God is so important to try to memorize Scripture. Thy Word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. You ought to have your verse that you quote when, mind, when things enter your mind that shouldn't enter there. Whether it's a word, whether it's a thought, whether it's a fantasy, whether it's a wicked thought, a wicked deed. Don't look at me so spiritual. Our minds are wicked, friend. We better quote Scripture and say, no, this is not right. Cast that down. Because if you allow that thought to develop, you'll entertain it more and more. And then you'll seek an opportunity to fulfill that desire that was birthing your mind. It's what Lot did. He looked towards Sodom and he had the idea. Secondly, Lot leaned toward Sodom. This is the interest stage. Verse 12, the Bible said that he pitched his tent toward Sodom. He started out looking that direction. Then he took a step further and started leaning that direction. It was no longer enough to fantasize about what it would be like to live out in the world. Out from under Uncle Abraham's supervision. It was no longer enough for that. Now, I'm going to take a step further in that direction. 
This is not real deep, but it's real true. Whichever direction you are leaning is the direction you're going to fall. Amen. Lot looked toward Sodom. That's the idea stage. Lot leaned toward Sodom. That is the interest stage. But Lot lived in Sodom. That is the infected stage. Genesis 14, 12. And they took Lot, Abram's brother's son, who dwelt in Sodom. Just one chapter later, he went from getting that direction to now he is dwelling in Sodom. Genesis chapter 19, the Bible tells that Lot sat in the gate of Sodom, meaning he was sitting in a place of leadership, prominence, and, and power there in the land of Sodom. Instead of being a testimony and being a light, he was infected by the world. I'm talking about it looked like Eden. It looked perfect, but it was more like Egypt. Lot was deceived, Lot was defiled, and thirdly, I would like to emphasize, Lot was devastated. He was devastated in three areas. First of all, the tragedy of his family. Genesis 19, you know the, you know the context, them angels have come in there. Ain't it interesting, in Genesis 18, a Christophany, a, a pre-incarnate visit of the Lord Jesus Christ in Genesis 18, they came to the tent of Abram. And he fellowshiped with Abram. There were three, the angel of the Lord and two other angels. But in Genesis 19, there's only two angels. God didn't send an angel to Sodom to save him. He sent an angel to Sodom to judge him. Jesus didn't even go into Sodom. Is that all right? And I believe a Sodomite can get saved if they repent and they turn to Christ. That's not the only sin that will make you a reprobate, but it is one of the sins that can make you a reprobate. Genesis 19, Lot brings him two angels into his home. Very wicked men, they come and they beat on the door. That's why I lean, these, these, these angels, they said, we want to we know these men. And we understand, us adults, we understand what that terminology means. They wanted to sodomize these men. Ain't it amazing? In the book of Luke, we're reminded of the days of Noah and Lot. Genesis 6, the sons of God knew the daughters of men. Genesis 19, you have the wicked men of Sodom wanting to know the angels. Perversion in the last days. You know what Lot does? No, you can't have these men, but here are my two daughters that are virgins. Why don't y'all take them and do what you want to with them? It's pretty bad right there. Pretty wicked that sodomites would be beating on your door and you would throw out your daughters to that crowd. They're finally, he, the angels say, get your family together, get out of here. And he has son-in-laws and he has other daughters and they mocked him, they laughed at him. They would not heed the warning. So finally Lot and his wife and his two daughters are literally drug out of Sodom. You read Genesis 19 and we understand Lot's wife looked back. I wonder where Lot's wife was when Lot offered them two daughters, them sodomites. She's probably at somebody else's house. Because immorality seems to run in the family. The tragedy of his family, she turns back and turns to a pillar of salt. The two daughters that survive, they get up in the mountains with their father and end up committing incest. And Moab and Ammon were produced out of that. You know why? Because it looked like Eden. 
but it was a lot like Egypt. The tragedy of his family, the testimony of his faith. There's not a time that I preach on a lot that me and Wade will talk after, after the message and will often refer back to 2 Peter 2 that if it was not for 2 Peter 2, we'd put Lot in hell. But Peter, the apostle Peter, informs us and delivered just Lot, vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked, for that righteous man dwelling among them and seeing here and vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. But he ruined his testimony. Apparently he had a testimony of being a servant of the Lord, a loving God, building altars with Uncle Abraham. But he lost his testimony. In the land of Sodom. The tragedy of his family. The testimony of his faith. But the telling of his future. Can anybody tell me how Lot died? Does anybody know how Lot's story ends? The last time we see Lot referenced. Jesus will reference him in Luke 17. You'll see him referenced in 2 Peter. But as far as giving us information about his life. You don't see him more. The last time you see him is in the cave. We don't know how his story ended. He just kind of, you never heard from him again. Oh, and how many times have we seen people in church that were once serving God, once serving the Lord, but they went towards Sodom and you don't hear from them again. They don't answer their phone. They don't respond to the text. Lot was devastated. Why was he devastated? It looked like Eden. Eden's that place of per- This is perfect for me. This is what I've been wanting. But it was more like Egypt. And in fact, it didn't even resemble a town when, they, when Lot walked out because God rained down fire and brimstone. It's buried at the bottom of the Dead Sea this morning. In closing, we contrast Abram. Abram waited on God. Abram said, Lot, you choose first. I'm going to wait. Abram, and, Abram was learning. Abram was not a perfect man, but Abram learned it's better to wait on God than to rush in on the first thing you see. Because Abram is flesh too. And Abram's a, herdsman. Abram's a cattleman too. He's going to see that well-watered plain. That's going to be a good place. And yes, that was a good place to raise cattle, but a horrible place to raise children. Abram waited on God. Abram got a word from God. Verse 14 of chapter number 13 of Genesis, the Bible teaches us, And the, word, and the Lord said unto Abram, After Lot was separated from him, Lift up now thine eyes and look from the place where thou art northward, southward, eastward, and westward. For all the land which thou seest to thee will I give it, and unto thy seed forever. Lot only got to look one direction. But because, amen, but because Abraham waited on God, he got a word from God, and God said, You look that way, you look that way, you look that way, you look that way. It's all going to be yours because you waited on God. Abram waited on God, Abram got a word from God, and Abram won with God. Genesis 25, here's the last, the, the last words or the last statement about Abram's life is. Genesis 25, 7, 
All these are the years of Abraham's life which he lived. A hundred and three score and fifteen years. Then Abraham gave up the ghost and died in a good old age. An old man full of years and was gathered to his people. But Lot, we don't even know where he's buried. We don't even know how he died. Why? Because it looked like Eden. It looked like exactly what he wanted. But it was actually more like Egypt. Lot was deceived. Lot was defiled and Lot was devastated. I'm going to tell you folks, we can't go on our feelings. The Bible teaches us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, for we walk by faith and not by sight. And I don't, I, I'm not aware of how this message would apply to you in your life, but I would say this, wait on God and get a word from God before you make any decision. I tell, it's not just preachers, anybody, when you're making a major decision in your life, you ought to back up your decision with a verse of Scripture. No, your Bible's not going to say, take this job. But God will use His Word to confirm things in your heart and life. And God will use that. God, God will do that. You've got to get a word from God. You can't go on how you feel. You can't go on what you see. If you go on what you see, you'll buy a bad car every time. If you just go on what's on top. It looked like Eden, but it was more like Egypt. Let's stand together. I appreciate your attention. May God help us to be cautious in making decisions and being hasty.